возлюбленной Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его, рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
the third book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Apostle John was already at an older age. He was beyond 90 years old when he wrote this letter to one of the saints who was of a favorable origin, noble origin. He acted towards him a special way because he was a person through whom uh, who he repented, he repented, this person repented through Apostle John, and he says, I pray for you that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as his soul prospers. According to Scripture, prosperity does not belong in Gaius or some kind of special category of people. This is the lot of all those who are redeemed by God, and consequently, or therefore, uh, prosperity or success is accessible to every saved person. The problem of the majority of people who are redeemed by God, who strive towards success, is comprised of the fact that many of them don't understand the formula of prosperity, and therefore, they cannot have the success or prosperity. The main part is our correct representation of what prosperity is and then knowing the principles that lead to it. Despite the fact that each person, according to his unique nature, has his own um, image or understanding of what prosperity is, moving from prosperity uh, is, so the understanding of prosperity should be universal because true prosperity is founded on the unchanging principles of Holy Scripture. One of the main mistakes is comprised in thinking that prosperity needs some kind of a, a genius brain or something that we don't have. This is one of the mistakes that we need to pay a high price for. Because in fact, prosperity is understanding our goals our purpose or our calling in life and the maximum uncovering of that potential that we have. In other words, prosperity is a process and it begins when we stop being copies or being um, try to copy somebody else who for us is a standard of success and we begin those kind of unique and unrepeatable people whom God created us to be. And according to scripture, God stands on man's behalf only when a person does that which God has called him to. If he begins to do not that which God has called him to, he is not going to have prosperity from God. He might have it from devil, but he won't have it from God. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but the time and chance happen to them all. What's interesting is that the word time and chance, chance, means statute, if you translate it. 
It's not, uh, take a look one other from the scripture, uh, the same scripture. These are the words of Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. He who keeps this command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Here it says time and chance. Here, here is a, a, a closer a closer translation, time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly because he does not know what will happen and when will it happen. You see, a commandment tells us what to do and what we must not do, as well as what retribution will follow for the fulfillment or the non-fulfillment of this commandment. Whereas a statute are decrees how and in what order we must fulfill this given commandment. When riches are multiplied, when God gives success materially and it is multiplied, don't lay your heart on it. Or God, as soon as a person sets his heart on material goods, he steps aside from the formula of prosperity and he stands against God. To not lay your heart on riches, we must change the formula of prosperity in our thinking as well as the formula of what in fact is riches. Because true riches, as we know, are the treasures in which our heart finds itself in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. If we think that money is our treasure and we will lay our heart there, can you imagine what's going to happen with us? The root of all evil, the root of all evil is money. We must place our, our heart not in money. Money are not those riches that we must place our heart in. Because out of the heart flows all things. From it flows the sources of life or sources of evil. For where your heart is, there your heart will also be. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? James chapter 2, verse 5. So it turns out that true riches are not material goods, but the faith of God, the word of God that dwells forever which we hear. And when we place it in our heart, we become those who have riches. And when we place our heart there, we become truly prosperous and successful and rich. We begin to have that which is in this world. It will say, yes, but I'm living paycheck by paycheck. You can live paycheck by paycheck. However, all that is in this world is yours. Apostle Paul said, we, having nothing, have all things. So God has had decided to make a show for hell, for the heavens, and for the earth on his church to show where her riches are. That in fact, despite the fact that she rules all the riches on the earth, she has nothing from these riches. You know, when Abraham had to come to the promised land, he didn't even have a length of this land. He walked it as if he was a foreigner, but 
the land belonged to him. God had said, I gave you this earth. He didn't even have a length of it, a span of it, and he walked according to this land, and Isaac and James, or Jacob also didn't have. Uh, Abraham had purchased it uh, to a part of this land to bury his wife Sarah, but the rest of it was in the hands of the Canaanite kings, and he lived there. And God said, this is your land. Because this land will be inherited by Abraham in the fruit of his seed. He couldn't inherit just like that. All that God gives us, we must inherit the fruit of our spirit. We accept the seed that we don't have everything yet have everything. And through the fruit of this righteousness, are we able to inherit his fruit was the whole army of Israel that came out of Egypt and had inherited this land in the fruit. This is a very important component. He had in himself this kind of faith. When you have in yourself the faith of God that upon your accounts in Christ Jesus, each one individually is placed more than that is on that is in this earth. All that is on this earth is placed as well as all that God has. In general, God has made his children heirs of all of that which he himself has. And people strive to simply have that which is on the earth. And he says that, I give this to you through fruit that we will offer, that the church will offer. It is going to, she is going to inherit all the riches of the world. In a thousand year reign, all the riches of the world will be, all the material goods will belong to the church of Jesus Christ. But before she is lifted up, raised up, her body in the literal sense will become heavenly. And she for a time is going to remain on earth and then she will demonstrate her authority over money over the capital of this earth. The same way the people of Israel, when they left out of Egypt, they carried out all of the goods of Egypt. All the goods of Egypt were in their, in their hands. Faith is given to inherit the kingdom of heaven and not to inherit material goods. By using the principles of faith to receive an unrighteous riches, we violate the commandments and prepare for ourselves retribution that will not slow to come. And before we begin our worship in the sphere of tithes and offerings, let us remember that converting the principles of the kingdom of heaven into material goods means to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, which God views as idolatry. The root of all evil is love for money. Scripture offers us the contrary, to use the principles of the kingdom of heaven so that we can convert material goods into treasures that do not fade. I always tell myself and to each of you, I don't know how those tithes and offerings with which we honor God are going to transform into great riches. For we, in fact, in doing so, we place our currency in the heavenly bank and we honor God. And on the other hand, when we live on a new heaven and on a new earth, on each account, there will be that which we transfer today. Let us remember that we are not here eternal. Soon enough, we are going to be in a new place where we will live eternally 
there will be a certain bank there in which which we must put, which we must place on our account and that which we place on our account these are our tithes and offerings the spheres of tithes because tithes are not the sacrifice that we give some people think that this is a sacrifice to god this is not a sacrifice to god this is god's belonging and it's not a sacrifice on our end this is obedience to the faith. We give God that which is found in our control, but does not belong to us. But offerings, above offerings, this is a sacrifice. Let it be little, but it is a sacrifice. Each time I say, when you honor God with tithes and offerings, never separate it's exactly a tithe. Add a little bit of a sacrifice to it so that it is a sacrifice. Sometimes people say, I almost have nothing left. And I say, can you add one more dollar as a sacrifice, as an above um, tithe? You can pray to yourself and say, Lord, what am I capable of? Lord, what is your heart capable of? How much do you love God? How much do you acknowledge his authority over yourself? And therefore, we will sing together do not care for the things of this world, and we will serve God, honor Him with tithes and offerings. This is the kind of service without which our worship ceases to be worshipped. This is a kind of service in which in which our worship becomes worship in which we acknowledge God's authority let us stand this is our day when we can proclaim victory over money and we can allow God to be proud of us before heaven, hell and heavens and the earth angels see the faith of God they see that you might not have enough that you might have very little but God wants to bring us to many things through our faithfulness to what is little. And therefore, let us worship Him voluntarily and joyfully. And so each time when Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon, they, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same Please raise your right hands a symbol of your righteous act over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tides from my home and brought them into your home so that your, in your home there will be food. I did not give imperially, I did not give in sorrow, and I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority in according to your word. I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so those who have a Bible, you can open up along with me a familiar place of Scripture to us, which still contains the great mystery of the ages, that contains in itself the mysteries of relations between God with His holy chosen remnant. Jeremiah 6.16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. When God gave the law to Moses, he continually turned to the people of Israel, not on the law, but that which was before the law, on the ancient path of goodness. And he always said, look there, the rest is there. Here there is no rest. The law that I have given you cannot bring you rest. 
на эти пути. И мы знаем, что and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and he indetermine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ to him in the flesh. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism and its three functions, baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. The doctrine of laying on of hands and three functions in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest, as well as the doctrine of resurrection from the dead in its three births, birth from water, from the spirit, into the throne. Return to studying the doctrine of eternal judgment, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the eastern side of the heavenly Jerusalem in three gates. This, as we know, is the doctrine of eternal judgment. And the doctrine of eternal judgment, just as in the other three teachings, contains in itself three levels of the will of God. These are the good will, acceptable will, and the perfect will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will in their union, the functions of the three levels of the will of God are yielded in Scripture as the creation of righteousness in the works of justice and the creation of sanctification in the works of holiness. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Revelation 22, 11-12. Pay attention only upon the union of the creation of righteousness and the creation and sanctification, again, these are two different things. Only these two actions can present in one another and for one another the legal platform for their legal expression. So, it is impossible to practice just judgments or righteousness without demonstrating works of holiness. And it is impossible to demonstrate works of holiness without, do, without practicing righteous judgments. Only in this union can they represent the doctrine of eternal judgment. We have noted that acknowledging the will of God is a sacred mystery that is found beyond the limits of our rational abilities that are 
called to occur between God and man and man and God in the dimension of the Spirit through the mutual act in which God and man unite as one and become one Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 6 verses 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he said, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so, fulfilling the will of God in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is an expression of love toward God. If you love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. These are the words of Christ. Fulfilling the commandments in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is fulfilling the will of God. In fulfilling the will of God, we receive the ability to know God and in this manner unite with God as one. This is called the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he gave himself up to be crucified in order to die for his chosen remnant, for his children, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. According to these words, to know the will of God means to become an expression of the will of God and a weapon of the will of God. So practically, a person becomes an expression of the will of God, a weapon through which God practices His will on earth. Therefore, the doctrine of eternal judgment in the good and acceptable and perfect will is a triumphant accord in the reign how to be a light, how to represent this light. And only having paid this price can we be this light. My judgments are like the light that goes forth. Hosea 6.5 My judgments are like the light that goes forth. Basically, when God created light, this light had to fulfill the functions of judgment to separate light from darkness, day from night to use the sun and moon to show the night and day. With this judgment, God today can destroy people. We know that the sun rays and the moon rays don't only give life, but they also are carriers of death. Their rays are not just life, but they are also carriers of death, depending on how to use these rays, how to approach them. I will make my justice rest as a light for the people, Isaiah 51, 4. You are a light to the world. How 
will God make his justice rest as a life only through his people, through his children? That's why we, in a little sense of the world, must express the judgments of God, because this is the light of God. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, will to we see here that the judgment of God, or the justice of God, is one of the components of the atonement between us and, and him. John 9.39, for judgment I have come into this world, he came for judgment to make some blind and to make others see. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. But none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. John 7:24 says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Because there is such an idea that people have, ignorant people who don't have complete knowledge, and therefore they say, they place one point of scripture, do not judge, and therefore you will not be judged. I always tell a person who says, don't judge so you don't not judge. And I said, well, what are you doing right now when you're telling me not to judge? You in this time are, you at this moment are judging me because I am judging you, you think I'm judging you. And to stop me, you say, do not judge me. This means that you are currently judging me. And he, uh, he blinked his eyes and he didn't know what, what to respond. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same thing must keep the judgment of God? Romans 2, 3. The judgment of God no one can run away from. It's the retribution for good and evil, which is the eternal and unchanging law of sowing and reaping. However, in a relationship with a person, initially God, his eternal judgment, which contained the function of retribution, did not assume the action of his judgment in its proper function. Because initially, the judgment of God in people was called to show their functions and the ability of a person to judge the deeds of God and to stand guard over the deeds of God. The judgment of the works of God was expressed in these words. Genesis chapter 2, 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. Genesis 2, 19 and 20. Man had named Every, every animal he judged the works of God. Not one animal was given such an ability to judge the works of God, to give, uh, to appraise every, every creation, everything. And initially, the judgment of God was to penetrate the thoughts of God. Why do people today, looking at this great world, say, I don't see God? Where is this God? Interesting. And I oftentimes ask these people this question. Do you believe that that which you see exists on some kind of laws, in some kind of perfect laws that for thousands of years are not, are not violated or broken? The sun with a certain... Um, the sun wraps around the earth, every planet, all of it in the universe, it's in order. Do you believe that these laws exist? 
Творчество законов — это тоже эволюция. Безумный человек. Писание говорит, он отрицает Бога от сердца своего головой, невозможно сделать Потому что голова мыслит логически, она говорит, если есть картина, есть художник. Because their heads would tell them logically, if there is a painting, there is an artist. If there is some kind of creation that was made or something that was created, there is the one who created it, built it. How have people come to such foolishness, not with their heads? Because with their heads, it's very easy to annihilate any atheist. Atheism is a ridiculous kind of faith. It is a faith. Because they believe that there doesn't exist a sun that shines and gives, gives light and represents the light of God in an, a certain aspect. It's a faith as well. And of course, as we have mentioned on multiple occasions, to judge the works of God who is necessary to have in our heart the mind of Christ and the subject of the written work in Holy Spirit. What God placed in Adam when he breathed in him and he became able to name the works of God, the person who does not dwell in the word of God and the Holy Spirit, as well as in whom the word of God and the Holy Spirit don't dwell, cannot have the mind of Christ and therefore he cannot judge the works of God. He cannot give a righteous uh, appraisal. Therefore, to judge the works of God and stand guard in the works of God in our hearts, it is necessary to protect the commandments of God through our unceasing fulfillment of them. But when a person, having accepted salvation like the first Adam, refuses to fulfill his calling and faithfully judging the works of God, and violates the commandments of God, then the function of God's judgment immediately moves to action and retribution, which upon creation was placed in man in the subject of his conscience. A good conscience in which the commandments of God are placed, that's why it's called a good conscience, there where there are no commandments, this conscience is not good, it's evil, but where the commandments of God are, this is a good conscience. When a good conscience in which the commandments of God are placed is a delicate judge of God in the heart of a person. And a person can get rid of this feeling when his conscience is blemished. He either has to repent and be sprinkled with the, with the cleansing blood, or he will continue to do this until his conscience burns out and he will end up shipwrecked in faith. That's why a good conscience in which the commandments of God are placed is the delegated judge of God in the heart of a person. A person already is a judge, he has a, a conscience, and this conscience is called to judge himself, not his neighbor. That's why many children of God die, because instead of with their conscience judging they judge their neighbors for whom they do not care responsibility. And they judge not with a righteous judgment. Oftentimes they judge him because his clothes are different, or his clothes might be different than what they think they should be, or they judge him because he doesn't behave himself a certain way, he doesn't, um, or she doesn't put makeup on the right way, or had a bad haircut. People pay attention to all of these things. Genesis 2, 15-17, And the Lord God said to the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. 
место общения с Богом. Это наш дух, это наше сердце. И заповедал Господь Бог человеку, говоря, от всякого дерева в саду ты будешь есть. Бог насадил в сердце через свои заповеди массу обетований. Through his commandments, сказал, a mass of promises. And he said, from every tree you shall eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, it is there as well. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And when man had eaten of it, immediately the judgment of God through his conscience had condemned him carried out a decree of death and we know that to call Adam out of death he needed to give his son to death that's why having killed an animal that was an image of the future the future Golgotha God had taken the skin of this animal and he gave he sowed Adam clothes Adam knew that for him to turn to God again because he had died to him through his sin he needed to repent and he needed to rise from the dead God explained to him the path of redemption this is the ancient path of goodness where Adam was born of God because everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ and that your salvation is in redemption you're not able to earn it this is You're not able to earn it with your works. It is the gift of God. God is the judge. And this is one of the first title merits of God. He is, first of all, the judge, and only then he is love. God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down, but I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Psalm 75, verses 7 Previously we noted how by whom all the horns of the wicked will be cut off, and how the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Specifically, when a righteous heart begins to sing in his heart the words, are the, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. He sings this, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Only then God begins to cut off the wicked and exalt the righteous. But if a person does not proclaim this, then this seed will die. Retribution is a natural and predetermined manifestation of the character of God. God, as we have said, did not decide to become a judge due to some kind of unforeseen circumstances. God was, is, and will be the judge. God's judgment lies in the eternal and unchanging character of God, which yields his unchanging word. Therefore, God can be judged by his unchanging words. His, he is unchanging in his word. God's words are the judgments of God that define his righteousness and his holiness that cannot be purchased. That's why he can be judged according to his words, and this is his initial function of his judgment for his words. Whereas retribution is a secondary function of his judgment, which is at rest and does not move unless the order of things established by God is violated. And therefore retribution is an inevitable moral law of creation thanks to which each person will receive what he deserves, if not in this world, then in the future. Not too long ago, one phrase had drawn my attention during victory, 
over Hitler, uh, over Hitler's Germany, because the Vatican, he did not challenge this terror. Stalin wrote him a letter. If you continue to speak of the ideology of communism and how we apply it in our lives, then I will send my divisions upon you. To this time, Italy was uh, overcome along with the fascist Italy. Germany was overcome by the Soviet army. And the Vatican or the Pope answered him, then you will, need, you will be met with my division very quickly, very soon. On the other side. You will be met with my own division, my own army. So, uh, it must be that the Pope understood that there exists the army of God that is much stronger than all of the armies of the Soviet Union, fascist Germany at that time, as well as the armies that had fought against this at that time. When a man, the man of God, Elisha, found himself um, surrounded, he was with his servants, and the whole army sought him and said, where is he? There he is in Samaria on the hill. And the army had surrounded him only to take Elisha, Elisha himself because the king was told. Do you know why is there Israelites are winning? Whatever we do, whatever game plan we have, the Israelites know. They said, because they have this person called Elisha, who tells the king of Israel that which you speak in your secret room to yourself. And therefore, all of that which we do against Israel, they already know about this, and they are prepared for this kind of warfare. And they are prepared to defend themselves in the not successful, and therefore this king that wanted to take Elisha. That prophet at that time, he was eating supper, and then when the servant came out, he said, oh, master, master, we are, that's it, we're done. We are surrounded by this army. And he was very surprised why Elisha was so calm at this moment. And then Elisha, who saw these armies, he said to the Lord, he prayed to the Lord, he said, Lord, open this to my servants so that he also can be brought to rest. And then when he prayed, the servant saw that the whole city, the whole mountain, there were chariots and uh, angels upon these chariots, and he said, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And we know the result of this war it's good when the children of God have spiritual eyes, just as Elisha had, and they see these armies that stand on their side and don't look at their own feelings, what other people might say, what politics might say, what the news talks about today, that the Third World War it's starting, but the world war, they say, it won't be easier. Scripture says that wars will occur, but at this time, it says, lift up your heads because the day of your deliverance is coming. And I want to tell you that there's not going to be a nuclear war. You don't need to be afraid of this, even if there was, oh, so what? 
Can we be scared, scared by heaven that we are going to go to the Lord? Let others be scared of what will happen to them, but this future war won't happen. Why? Because the Lord isn't going to rapture the church from this nuclear catastrophe. He won't allow this. Because all of the kings, all of the nuclear warfare is not in the hands of people who carry a, a, a briefcase with a button, a button that is pressed that presidents have, but the button that the Lord has, he can do all things, and therefore none of this will occur. There will be wars in certain places, and obviously the greatest war that is going to happen is going to happen on the territory in Europe right now. What will happen is, is it, this war will happen in, in Europe when all of this occurs, but we won't be here at that time. Furthermore, The law of sowing and reaping in the law of eternal judgment is one of the basic life principles. Apostle Paul writes, For there will be wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, between the sowing and the harvest, there is a certain period of time in which we could believe that God's mercy for them continues to be renewed every morning. And that, day, that the day of anger and righteous revelation of judgment from God is not their lot. However, as far as we know, this is self-deception. It's the greatest lie. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 to 23. Pay attention here. These people thought that the mercy of God is renewed for them every morning, that they are walking in the correct direction. They didn't check, they didn't check whether or not the path that they are walking along, whether or not it coincides with the ancient path of goodness, whether or not it coincides with the reigning teaching of Christ who came in the flesh. God is a just judge and daily seeks out strict judgment. Scripture says, therefore, sooner or later, justice will reign. That is why God is not indifferent to good and evil. Awareness of the reality of God's judgment shapes our view. We live this way or not another because we are aware of the inevitability of retribution. The last efforts of the dragon will be directed against God as the just judge. He will try to inspire people that God is love and that all people without exception, including the dragon himself, with his unclean army, will be saved. And that God not allow the world of spirits created by him as well as others to perish with the fallen charity. He is God Almighty and he will find ways to save all the creations he created. This is what they think. Otherwise, he is not God Almighty and God of love. So take a look at what kind of logic they have, what kind of sturdy logic they have. However, we forget that Scripture is not dependent on logic. Not against it, it's just in a different dimension. It's higher, it's above. 
There is a law of gravity is there, but as soon as you exit the limits, you are not in no longer gravity. Just as God, he is not found in these logical dimensions that people use for themselves to define certain God depends only on his word. And we forget that he has said at one point, Isaiah 26.10, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not rule the majesty of the Lord. And this place of scripture tells us that God is not going to try to somehow bring them out from their wickedness because bringing them out from death is first and foremost it is sovereign right and man. He must give his agreement towards it. He must fulfill certain conditions. If he refuses to fulfill conditions and give agreement and when he, he says, I will live as I want to, God is going to be bound to save me because he is almighty and he is love. And he is a just judge, and his love is holy and just. He loves those who love him and hates those who hate him. Holy God and divinity, supreme judge, always was and is the God of all righteousness. And he begins his judgment from his house, or rather, those who accepted his salvation. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The thought of the righteous and eternal judgment of God permeates all scripture. The law of Moses was given by God and most righteous judge who does not hesitate to apply punishment and And this punishment is carried out in execution by divine hands through people who are similar to the image of the Son of God. He said to his prophets for them to speak judgments on certain peoples and on certain nations. Most of the prophecies of the ancient prophets are devoted to the statement of the essence of the law, the rules of its application, and then the enumeration of the punishments that threatened its unrepentant violators. In their ministry, the prophets paid much more attention to the teaching of judgment than to the teaching of the origin of the mission and his kingdom. This point of view is practically reflected in all the Old Testament and New Testament authors of Holy Scripture. God truly is love, but this does not mean that he is obligated to love everyone without exception. For the fairness of his judgment, there are no exceptions. If God forgives us, he does it according to his will, in accordance with his word, and not in accordance with our logical conclusions. And no one is able to force him to do anything contrary to his ordinances in the matter of mercy. Because God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. Mercy from God. So who does it belong to? To those who repent. This does not mean that God has decided to have mercy on some and not have mercy on others. Everything depends on man. If a man repents, he gains repentance, he gains mercy. The only thing that God depends on is his word, which, having come out of his mouth, finds him forever in what he has spoken. Therefore, if he has promised to have mercy, 
On those that repent according to his established statute, his mercy will depend on our repentance. Under the condition, of course, that this repentance will occur according to the requirements of his statute. His grace is closely related to his holiness and to his judgment, and by those two things we first know God. Psalms chapter 9, verses 16 through 19. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Ибо не навсегда забыт будет нищий, и надежда бедных не до конца погибнет. Псалом 9, 16, 19. Psalms chapter 9, verses 16 through 19. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who have made themselves poor on their own, who had refused to trust in everything besides God. Therefore, if these people have the opportunity to trust in their own money, their own um, experience, their own physical powers, then a person of God has only one hope, one trust. God sees that you have nothing to rely on except for Him, then He will stand up for you. And in the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, which consists of twelve precious foundations, the doctrine of eternal judgment, expressed in the degree of the goodwill, is made of the precious stone, chrysoprase. Revelation chapter 21, 14 and 20, now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on that were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, the tenth chrysoprase. We're going to talk about how chrysoprase from the ancient Greek chrysos means gold. And it is the most expensive variety of chalcedony, usually apple green, but can vary to dark green and bluish green. And chrysoprase is valued not for its drawing or patterns, but for its color. The variety of Chalcedony from which the tenth foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem was made is also present on the breastplate judgment of the high priest, from which we conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in his goodwill, he will address the person through a ring of means with a voice emanating from the secret mystery of Chrysoprase, which on this basis will represent the name of the Apostles of the now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the tenth Lebeus, whose surname was the Deus, Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 3. We have already paid attention to the fact that Lebeus called the Deus is in fact Judas, the son of James. The name Judas means praise God or praise Yahweh. Praising God. If we take a look deeper, according to Scripture, according to, um, if we look at the dictionary deeper, what it means in Hebrew, praising God means to draw the water of life from the treasure of your good heart to satisfy both your thirst for God and your longing. It is this function that is contained in the name of Judas. In the name of James, as far as we already know, means he holds on to the heel, he will hold captive, he will leave a mark, he will protect, and he will win. Therefore, merged in the United Divided into one, the name Judas and James, in their totality, mean praising God will be an indelible mark and will serve as an eternal memorial for heaven, earth, and hell, with the fact of who God is for His people and what God did for them. In a certain format, we have already studied the powers contained in the name Judas James, and therefore we will turn to studying the eternal judgment in the level of the goodwill.
The goodwill that represents the name Judas James. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. And let us remember that the functions contained in the powers of the good, acceptable and perfect will is in part the goodwill can flow only upon the cooperation of man with God in the boundaries of this goodwill. Where for each of the sides there is a role which cannot be replaced, it cannot be fulfilled by someone else. And so to cooperate with God in the building of the heart, the ten foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, it is necessary for us to study the functions contained in the powers of the goodwill as well as the roles that God has established for Himself as well as for us. Considering the format of this sermon, I will limit myself to a few in my eyes important components in which the good will is presented in the 10th foundation of the wall of heaven in Jerusalem in the name of Judas James, which gives the children of God the right to fulfill God's judgments in the boundaries of the knowledge of the good will. But before we begin to study the powers contained in the level and boundaries of the good will, it is necessary for us to provide a definition for the will of man that is called to cooperate with the will of God. The will is one of the substances and properties of the human soul that is expressed in the ability to achieve a goal. A person who is weak-willed or deprived of a will will not be capable of achieving his goals. The will is not just a desire, but it is also the sureness of a person in his own strength. Specifically, the free will of a person defines the level of his sovereignty, the level of his freedom, and the level of his authority to choose a goal in the subject of life and death and achieve this goal. However, it is worth noting, very important moment, very important moment here. However, it is worth noting that the will of a person is called to independently and choose a goal, but it is not called to and is not capable of independently achieving this goal. To achieve this goal, it is necessary to cooperate with the goal itself and who stands behind this goal. Therefore, that freedom that we oftentimes talk about, this freedom is to decide, to choose, and nothing more. Either be a servant of righteousness or a servant of sin. This is what freedom is comprised of. And having chosen, we become a servant or a slave of that which we have chosen. Take a look, we put it to the prayer of Christ. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 43. And for cooperation, or for Jesus to achieve the goal set by God, he needed help. He couldn't on his own without the Holy Spirit fulfill this calling and this vocation. He will make the decision. When he makes the decision, only then does help come. First he says, if this cup would pass, but then he remembers that God in his word is unchanging. That his father does not change his position. And for his son, he is not going to change his word. That 
had at one point come out from his lips. And therefore he says, let not my will, but yours be done. And when he gave himself to the will of God to be a servant of his Father, immediately an angel appeared to him from heaven in the face of the Holy Spirit and strengthened him, preparing him to this great victory. For cooperation with the will of God, it is necessary to reorient our will toward the will of God so that the will of God becomes a subject of our decision and our goal. The sovereign will of a person always works together with the mind of a person or along with the mind in which the mind of a person plays a vital role. The mind, in turn, is made dependent on the conscience of a person that expresses the ability of the mind. We're talking about, again, the conscience of a person, the person of God, that expresses the ability of the mind and the heart to act in the mention of the Spirit. And therefore, when the conscience of a person carries out a decree and according to the intuitive channel, passes along this decree to the mind, then the mind, in turn, commands the will to bring this decree to fulfillment. Whatever happens, or this will not occur in the essence of a person even created, or whatever happens in the essence of a person, it is the will of a person that is called to fulfillment all of his plans, projects, and decisions, both in the positive and negative God says when they begin to do something, they will not stop. If we don't, when they were building Babylon, why did God say this? Because he created man with a kind of will that he himself has to bring it to fulfillment. And if this will is um, voluntary, a man makes his goal, he will achieve it. And God knew this. By underestimating the side of the hypostasis of God, because man is created in the image and likeness of God, and the will of God is that side of the divine hypostasis that brings to fulfillment desires and decisions through his judgments, and by underestimating the side of the hypostasis of God, we consciously or unconsciously become opponents of the will of God, which is presented to us in the divine trinity. With all this, it is the will it is in the will of God not only to carry out the judgment of the court, but also to execute decisions that arrange and bring peace to his divine nature. Therefore, not one act or one side in the fulfillment of the will of God is possible without judgment and retribution. Isaiah 34, 5. For by sword shall be bathed, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment, Edom, as we know, is an image of the soul. The will of God comes from heaven, and it comes upon the earth, but in order for it to bring to be fulfillment on earth, God means man, who is going to reorient his will for the will of God so he can operate What is comprised of the essence of knowing the good will this first army of eternal judgment. Do you remember we talked about how when the silver trumpet sounded, that when the first sound, first there were the three tribes that were a part of the, uh, one of the armies under Judah. They had first stood their first army when uh, the first sound of the trumpet sounded, everyone paid attention to it. This meant this is the good will. When it is the good will that first starts. Why? Because the will of God, apart from the will of man, 
can never be enslaved and therefore can never lose its sovereignty. The image of the sovereignty of God with special strength is seen in his goodwill. There is redemption in it. A person with redemption walks with redemption to battle. So the good and uh, acceptable and perfect will use in their weapon the goodwill, and the goodwill will always walk in Christ. Just as always, the blood of the covenant will always walk first, forward. Therefore, what is the goodwill? It is a good and free will that is independent of any conditions that come from the sovereign depths of God. Furthermore, the goodwill is yielded as the goodness of God and is expressed and expresses itself in His goodness toward man. Third, the goodwill of God is a will that expresses itself in the It is impossible to Earned, it could only be accepted as a good gift of undeserved mercy. Otherwise, so if a person does not want to accept uh, on the, as a gift but tries to deserve it, the first time that the alarm the silver trumpet will sound, and this goodwill, instead of helping you, will stand up against you for the execution of judgment of the eternal court, for discrediting the good gift of God which we decided, or he decided, to earn by good deeds. Knowledge of the goodwill of God is comprised of us understanding once and for all that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. In Christ all shall be made alive. Not for what we have done, but for what Christ has done. We did not sin. However, we died along with Adam when Adam had sinned. And we oftentimes say, and I've met people, it's not just what God did. Why Adam, my, why me? So, why me? Adam said, but you are the seed of Adam. You carry this heritage. And he says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be alive. Christ, so Adam sins and all die, Christ overcomes sin and everyone accepts this victory. They then don't need to do anything to overcome sin. Sin has already been overcome. In fact, the children of God, they fight with sin having already been victorious because if we were to fight with sin without they having been victorious, we would never, we would never be victorious. And how can we fight with sin ourselves вот having been sinners by nature. This is why the goodwill shows us that in Christ all should be made alive, that in Christ we receive the privilege that he walks receive a reward along with him. In, in him. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. These words the Heavenly Father had said to the Holy Spirit when Jesus was transformed so the people could see His goodwill, His favor in Him. Pleasure is the goodwill in the Son. He stepped in as judge and His goodwill carried Him to the cross. So He volunteered. Goodwill voluntarily, consciously gave Himself on the cross on which He condemned sin in the flesh, destroyed the works of the devil, broke the bronze gate, suffered shame, and rose up against the power of death and united us with Him in his resurrection. This power had its citadel in the flesh. And so the goodwill with the weapon of his sacrificial death 
destroyed death as the cause of sin. And by its resurrection, revived a person who had received salvation to a new life. We know that we know what the good will is. A person is born from God, and in water baptism, he makes a covenant of blood. And thus, in this covenant of blood, the good will is contained. He enters or steps into this good will. What did the good will do for him? Through the blood of the Son of Christ, it destroyed in his body the citadel of sin. It introduced him into the spirit of person who until that time was in a state of death, the life of the highest order from God. Therefore, the covenant of blood and water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ was the weapon of the good will. Thus, the good will through water baptism once and forever separated the state of a person from eternal death and proclaimed him holy in Christ Jesus. It is not the acceptable will that proclaims you perfect, but it is the good will or proclaims you holy, but it is the good will. It is worth noting once more that when God will do something on the level of his acceptable perfect will, his good will will always step in first. And when we arrive in heaven in a new song, his good will will sing out in which he gave his one and only son up to death for us. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four twenty and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, You were worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, this is the good will. He saves us in the good will. Through the sacrificial blood of his Son, he redeems us. He returns us to himself from where, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has made us kings and priests for God, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And so the four living creatures of the four, four elders is an image of the bride of the Lamb. This is the congregation of the people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is what they testify themselves. Therefore, to see the people look and Take a look at what they testify themselves. This is a parable. This is a And I have found that I saw people who interpret what are the four living creatures, what are the 24 elders. These are the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles, they say. Yes, of course, they are part of these. But the salt isn't in this. This says that these are people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who have accepted redemption on the conditions of God. And that's why they sing out about this new song, this good will. And so the first powers of the good will on the 10th foundation of the wall of heaven in Jerusalem is yielded as praise to God. Psalms 29, 2-3. It is good to sing mercy to the Lord Goodness, mercy in the morning, and truth in the night. In this case, the good will expresses itself in such praise and song that sings in the mercy of God in the morning and truth of God at night. The image of morning in our essence signaling the beginning of the day is the proclamation of the faith of God contained in our hearts. The image of night in our essence 
является вера и упование нашего сердца на милость Божию, потому что сердцем верует праведности, а устами исповедует ко спасению Таким образом, исповедание словословия дает возможность утверждать и совершать наше спасение. Of praise gives God the ability to establish us and fulfill our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.12-13 A person that has received salvation and received the kingdom of heaven, but whose heart does not work in sync with his lips, will be blotted out of the book of life, and this proclamation has only an outward appearance of godliness, but does not have its power. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praises beautiful. Psalms 147, The second powers of the good will on the tenth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem is expressed in trust in the name of God. I will praise you forever because you have done it, and in the presence of your saints I will wait on your name, for it is good. Psalms 52, verse 9. For it is good, so the good will is expressed before your saints in, in hope. In this case, the will of God expresses itself in trust in the name of the Lord and is founded on hope and testified in our hearts who God is for us and what He has done for us. The phrase, I will praise you forever, tells us that praise will continue for all of eternity and that this praise will have no end. And let us remember that the subject of our trust yields our worship and our being. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence or your trust, which has great reward. For you have need of patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise of this 10, 35, and 36. A lack of trust is a lack of knowledge of who God is for us and what God has done for us. And this lack is demonstrated when strong winds overwhelm our hearts and all kinds of winds of false teachings pour out which have to do with the loss of property, health, and our good name. And then our praise turns into groaning, resentment, and unhappiness. And we forget what God did with us when He led us out of Egypt. We begin to blame the messengers of God that they have lied to us and did not bring us into the land. Or milk and honey flows, then the bones of our trust fall in the wilderness before the face counted For those who acknowledge the goodwill of God, expressed in who God is for them and what God has done for them, when strong winds blow on their salvation and waters are poured out, they begin to produce an aroma in the subject of the praise of their trust. Whatever may happen, whatever may occur, even if they might be in the depths of hell, they from there are going to trust you because with his Christ being in hell, he began to Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden its pleasant fruits. How, how otherwise, how otherwise can God feel the beauty of cooperation with His goodwill? How will He see that we, are about, we, we stand in His goodwill if He does not allow these temptations? It's impossible to avoid this. But woe to those through whom they come from and woe to those who are seduced by these temptations. There are people who are not seduced 
because they cooperate with the And one more component, since we don't have to have much time left, the third component of power is the goodwill on the attempt foundation of the world can lose this is expressed in grain, which shall make the young man thrive, and the wine of the young woman. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 17. For how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. Goodness, number goodwill. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young woman. So here this means that the goodwill will do something. All right, young men, grain, but can you imagine the young woman who drinks wine and then influenced by this wine they begin to praise God? Obviously, these words are a parable and not literally. Young men and women is the definition of the state of the human heart. First, it is the male and female origin in the spiritual dimension expressing the ability to proclaim with their lips the faith of our hearts. When you proclaim with your lips the faith of your heart, whoever you may be at this time, you have a the male origin because the word is the seed and you are proclaiming it but whenever you begin to accept this word or you are fertilized by the seed of this word this points to the fact that in your heart there is a female origin that you are able to be fertilized by the seed of the word of God and the fact that they are both virgins points to the purity of the faith of their heart Faith that is unblemished or untarnished. That's why they're presented as rigid here. And grain is the commanding teaching of Christ that represents that ancient path of goodness. And wine is an image of the Holy Spirit. And so we are going to pray. And I think that although we haven't heard enough what the goodwill is, what its purpose is, what to do in order to cooperate with it. However, I believe in a certain measure we have, we have already heard enough, but if we want to truly learn it to the end, we can learn it because I will give an opportunity. I will move on forward, but you can receive the notes if you want them. Um, and now let us bend our knees or our heads before God and we will pray. And all of those who desire to challenge their sinful beginnings so they can receive access to the goodwill of God, to redemption, so that they can be delivered and receive hope that all that God has promised that it be found not just in heaven but in their hearts and begin to praise God to begin to draw from here from the hearts and thank Him for the healing that we have in Christ Jesus for freedom where we are free in Christ Jesus for any promise that we have accepted in Christ Amen let us bend our knees and pray and I will pray along with you with your prayers and I ask you to deeply believe that the Holy Spirit is on your side. God truly wants the weapon of the goodwill to become our weapon so that through his redemption we can inherit those promises that God has placed on our account. Our eyes closed, our hands raised, a sign that you are ready to receive from God that which he desires to give to you. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame 
with my pain. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wounds, cover my shame, protect me with yourself. I accept your good word my healing in your good will through the blood of the covenant my freedom from sin I accept my joy my salvation and right now before heaven and hell I want to proclaim that according to your word I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified I am safe. Amen. Amen. May your sins be forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you, but not draw near you. All illnesses be cursed in your body. May the glory of God come upon you and upon your descendants. May all this come upon you and may be fulfilled upon you. Amen. Amen. And now, all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.